0: Scripture reading will be coming from Luke 16, 1 through 9, starting with chapter 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who was a manager, and charges who brought to him that this man was waiting, excuse me, wasting his possessions. And he called and said to him, what is that that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to him, what shall I do? Since my master is taking to the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am not ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me in their houses. So summonsing his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and set down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and I may do, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commanded that the dishonest manager for his
1: shrewdness,
0: the son of the world, and more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the son of light. May we have a blessing to the reading of God's word.
1: Guys, thanks for bringing our scene. Ramon, thanks for that last one too. It's good. All right, so every year we do this series on generosity, and we're doing it this year with Bridges, uh, our church plant, Michael Gregory, and Richard Liu. And uh, every year we do this series. It's only, we usually do it like just three weeks in a row. And we do it on generosity, and we don't do it on giving. We talk about generosity, not giving. And why is that? I I don't think generosity can be equated with giving money. Uh, Because you can give $50 million to a uh, conservancy for a natural preserve, like a South Pasadena couple did this last week $50 million. Um, And uh, you can give money towards something like that, which is really noble and nice and good, but you can. In giving money, you can be stingy with your person, with your creativity, with your time. Um, you can be stingy in all the other categories of life and be generous in one, um, and yet not be fully or thoroughly generous. Uh, but we know this. You can't be considered a generous person and not give your money Away in a radical way because that also is a category that falls under a changed heart of generosity. And so, um, I don't know why this is, but Michael and Richard always give me the um, the money sermon. <laughs> Do you guys think something fishy is going on there? Um, we, we usually talk about the, the main buckets, the main categories, um, your time, treasure, and talent of of categories of generosity that we are asking God to move in us for, and I always get the treasure one. So that's going to be the same way. You know, when I first read this passage that Ramon read for us in Luke 16, uh, there's something about this parable that doesn't really sound like Jesus came up with it, right? Like, like uh, it doesn't sound Jesus-like. It catches you a little bit in this uh, parable. Like, wait, is Jesus really supposed to say um, that in his own story? But let's understand the story really briefly. There is a wealthy guy, and he has um, his right-hand man, his manager, and whatever this right-hand man does in the markets or in the community is a legally binding transaction. It's as if the rich man himself did this transaction. And so it comes back to him that, hey, this guy is ripping you off. He's taking your money. He's taking your possessions. And so the, the rich guy gives his right-hand man, the manager, um, a pink slip. He fires him. And he says, hey, I'm going to need those, uh, uh, those accounts back from you okay so there's a little gap in time before he gets the accounts back and so this this manager uh knocks down just hacks a lot of debts in half in the community and this is what he does is he makes a lot of friends for himself and in an interesting way also kind of expands the the name and the largesse of his master as well the rich guy Uh, and that's the story so uh, Jesus says this. Uh, he says um, in his own story. He says, "Look, um, manager, you're dishonest. That's why you're fired. But well played. Well played. That's a good move. That's a good move. Uh, so Jesus is saying is this is um, the guy in his system." Knows how to use money for future things better than his own followers do about future things. Given the system. That's what he's praising. So Jesus is saying that, and because of what he is saying tonight, here's our question: How does that enable you or me to give our wealth and our assets away? That's a big question. Like how what Jesus just said, how does that help me give my wealth away? Because it's hard. Uh, And so these are the three points I want to talk to you about. Is that, uh, one, we enjoy, spend, and manage the wealth of another. It's not ours. Two, uh, we need and long for something that we really can't get from money alone. Okay? You might think that's a non-sequitur, but I'll tie it all together. Three, we have an unrivaled loving friendship, which is an odd thing to say when we're talking about giving our money away. So let's talk about this first one we enjoy, spend, manage, and invest the wealth of another. All right, so Jesus is saying, he wants us to consider this manager, this dishonest manager, and he says, I want you to see how this guy who isn't operating in my kingdom with my kingdom values, let's look how he works. I want you to see how freely he pushes money around and hacks debts in half and acts as if he is the rich man. Even though it's only on his his behalf, he's acting as if he is the rich man. So, this is just a small little idea. God has put you, God has put me in a place where we are acting on his behalf with his stuff. Simple idea. Um, So, I would call you, I would call myself a fund manager. A fund manager for the Most High God. If you're a Jesus follower. Now... When we do this, when we are a fund manager for God, you cannot and I cannot do whatever we want with our money. Okay, Uh, so uh, American, um, kind of the American zeitgeist or American um, vibe, the American air that we breathe is like, look, I earned my money, I work for my money, it's mine don't talk about my money. And here I am talking about your money and my money tonight, okay? That's the American air. It's mine, I've earned it. And Jesus says, I want you to stop acting as if you own your stuff. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. All right, um, we're just coming off of the holidays. Um, I don't know if you've seen clips or you watched the whole movie, uh, but wonderful life with Jimmy Stewart, black and white, you know, just... And it's not Christmas until you at least see a clip of It's a Wonderful Life, right? Okay, we're not talking about that movie. There's another movie that Jimmy Stewart had, classic, um, that captures the American ethos when it comes to money. And it's the movie Shenandoah, and he's this hard scrabble farmer in this black-and-white movie, and they're gathered around this big, large farm um, dinner table, and uh, all of his sons and families are there, and he's about to return thanks or grace or bless the the meal. So he starts praying, and I'm going to paraphrase it. This is not exactly it. You can YouTube it. Um, But here's the general gist of the prayer. Jimmy bows his head, and everyone bows their heads, and he says, Lord, we cleared this land, and Lord... We tilled this land. And Lord, thank you that we planted this land and we watered this land and thank you that we uh, weeded this land and thank you that we harvested. All the same, all the same, we're real grateful for it. Heavenly Father, amen. (laughs) It kind of captures the American ethos. Like, God, thank you. For letting me give it to myself. That's how we view our stuff. Um, but let me, and again, you may feel this way. You're like, look, I did, I, I, I've seen my pay stub. I know I worked for my money. But, but, but let me just show you briefly in a few areas how what you have is not at all attributed or attributable to just your hard work. Um, one. You're alive. <laughs> um, in 1900, life expectancy for an American is, hovers between 45 and 46 years old. I'm 47. I would have been a goner. Right? Uh, 2022, life expectancy is anywhere between 78 and 79 years old. Depends on if you're uh, male or female. Uh, did you have anything to do with that? Uh, If you're here tonight, and if you're relatively healthy, and you're vaxxed, and you're boosted, um, with everything falling apart, with all the spikes, with every possibility of microbe and disease, um, uh, you know the vaccine, there's a common misnomer or or misthought that that the vaccine was developed like within months in 2020. No, when SARS came out 10 years ago, the, the beginning workings of a vaccine that we're were able to uh, rush through in 2020 and 21 was based on a team of scientists across institutions that started 10 years ago. Did you have anything to do with that? I didn't. It's amazing. Uh, Just the fact that you're born with certain talents and abilities and proclivities or aptitudes, uh, you didn't... Just get your 10,000 hours for that. Some of that is based on DNA that you didn't choose, that you did not select. You have it. Um, Circumstances. It is is a a small miracle that you are born here in modernity. Most of history has lived with a third of the the world enslaved to another human being. Um, You could have been uh, born in a place where you don't have resources or recourse to basic human rights or recourse to justice. It's, it's amazing. Like, we didn't supply this for ourselves. And yet, it's the very underpinning of how we're able to go and work and get our money. Um, in First Chronicles 29, David, he's a rich guy. He is going to the temple to Basically, give, give his offerings, give his tithes to God. This is in First Chronicles twenty-nine. I want you to listen to David, and like just his thoughts of giving to God. Here it is: Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. David gets it. He's a rich guy who gets it and says, oh, this is just yours. So here it is. Um, We can only give out of what God has given to us. So if you don't if you don't think God has given you a lot, guess what? You don't. You don't. Have, you, we're only giving about what God has given to us. So what that means is this three, three things. One, it's not your stuff. Like I'm not going to be invited back to Bridges. I said this this morning there. It's not your stuff. Your wealth isn't actually yours. I don't think they'll invite me back. Two. God calls you and me to be as generous as He is with His own creation. Three, if you are not radically generous with the wealth that God has given you, I, I don't think that your problem is entirely related to greed or me. Like I think a lot of times we think, um, hey, uh, I have a miserly problem or I'm stingy or I hoard and that's my problem. Or, or or, this is like, maybe it's a compassion problem, right? I've said this before. Maybe, maybe we just need to show wide-eyed children and have a Sarah McLachlan song playing in the background so you're like, oh my goodness, I want to give money to that. I'm going to Venmo 20 bucks right now. Like, like, like maybe it's a greed problem or a compassion problem. That's not what the scriptures tell us, and that's not even what this, this parable or even other areas of scripture tell us. This is what the problem is. It's robbery. Um, We're stealing from God. It's an integrity issue. It's not a greed issue. It's an integrity issue. Um, I I didn't see this until recently. So um, if you're a fund manager and you're not using it the way the owner wants to use it, you know what it is? It's embezzlement. It's it's like Enron. Let me show you this. This is from Malachi 3. Um, Will man rob God? Question mark. Yet you're robbing me, but you say, "How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions?" Now I get when I say tithe and contributions. That sounds like a very old, ancient, outmoded term. It sounds very Old Testamenty, like right along with smiting people with rocks. Right? It's that old of an idea. Um, but but let me let's just work through this a little bit. Uh, if you're going to give your money away, generally in the Old Testament, that idea is a tenth, 10%. Now, I think, um, I, I do this, you can do this, and you're like, that is kind of a lot of money. That's kind of obscene. That's, that's a lot of cash. I, like, I don't give that much to charity. Uh, let me put it a different way. If there was a job opening in um, uh, downtown L.A. For, uh, in the financial district, sector, whatever you name it. And in the JD, it said this. All right, we're going to give you um, funds from all of our clients. And you're the fund manager. And you know what you're doing. You've been educated for it. And and this is it. These are the terms of the JD, is that whatever you invest and whatever you get back, you keep 90% and you just give the company 10%. Would any of you take that job? Yeah, yeah, we would take that job. We would take, but that job doesn't exist in LA. That job does not exist in LA. But that's the gig that we have. I am going to give and give and give and bless you, and I'm asking you to give the company ten percent. Why? Not for the building of church edifices, but for the flourishing of your neighbor. That's why we give. Now, this is, um, so Malachi says this, yeah. So if you can't do that 10th part, which sounds really crazy, you're a thief. That's what Malachi says. Okay. Uh, Now, this is how I get out of it historically. This is how maybe you get out of it. You're just like, yeah, but that was kind of Old Testament and stuff. But now it's like Jesus time, and it's kind of modern, and, I don't know how to make the links, but I know it's not like that. So it's more Old Testament-y stuff you're talking about. Okay. Let me give you this. The vision for financial generosity in the Old Testament is mechanical, dutiful, tenth. Let me give you the vision for generosity in the New Testament, and and you guys can pick which one you like. Here's the vision for generosity in the New Testament. Jesus giving himself up all the way to death not 10%, but 100%. So the vision for New Testament generosity is bleeding generosity, not dutiful generosity. Everyone's like, well, I kind of liked, you know what? Old Testament's not that bad. Leviticus is kind of strange, but okay, let's I'll take that. <laughs> right? This vision for generosity. Now, I want to make something clear. You guys know this. Is This is a family con- conversation. This is not for someone visiting. This is not for someone who says, hey, I'm, these are not my people. I'm not walking with Jesus with you. I'm just exploring the claim. It's not for you. It's a family conversation here. Um, now, notice this. is Giving your wealth away does not mean giving it to this church. I want to make that really, really clear. I mean, yeah, we have to function, but I don't care. At the end of the day, I don't care. I am talking about if you do not radically give 10% of your wealth away for the advantage of your neighbor and the flourishing of your neighbor, you are a thief if you're a Christ follower. You're a thief. And some of us are thieves, I've been this, I've been a thief with a Bible and a smile. You can be a thief with a Bible and a smile. Okay, wow, no wonder you're not getting invited back to Bridges. Two, it gets better. Better? Everyone's like, well, that was kind of, I don't know if that was good. Two, um, we, this, is, this is why you can give your money away, because we've been using our money for something else. And I'm going to show you in the second point, is that we need and long for something that we can't get from money alone. So Jesus sets this up in verse 8. He says this, The master commended... The dishonest manager for his shrewdness for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So Jesus is setting up this story to point to um, where he is going to describe the better actions with money. So this is what the dishonest manager did. Is he gave up some short-term gains and put it into something that was more valuable that would benefit him later, and for him, that was relationships. Jesus points it out in the parable. Now, I I think all of us, I I think, I I am assuming that you guys are pretty savvy with money, I'm assuming that. Um, But I would say this is, I think a lot of us don't mind short term Non-financial growth with a promise of massive financial growth later. Um, Did you know Amazon, and some of you guys may have been investors, Amazon investors were willing to go with 12-plus years of no profit, no profit whatsoever, putting all of that money back into building this machine that later, lo and behold, all the monies would flow to. Right? We know this concept. We're willing to put up with short term nothing to get us something later. That's just like investing 101. Um, this, is, this is what Jesus sees in the sons of the world. Like, you, they get this concept pouring stuff into things that will grow for you later. They get that. And he's saying, Sons of light, daughters of light, like, you need to understand that. You could pour it into something that is gonna bloom and boom later. So, here's the real question um, What's going to last in this investment scenario with the kingdom? What's gonna last and what's gonna survive all market corrections? What's gonna survive? And Jesus says, I, Look, I can give you some perspective on this. I think relationships are going to survive and not the stuff. Like, there's no investment I can think of asset, class, material, coins, art, bullion, whatever it is, crypto, whatever you got. N- nothing is like has bear spray to keep <laughs> the bears away. Nothing. It's going to disappear. This is, this is what's interesting to me is um, Jesus doesn't keep it on this theoretical, spiritual, ethereal plane when he talks about our wealth. He's like, look, stuff you can buy can disappoint you. So put your money into eternal things and I'm going to call people eternal things, relationships eternal things. Uh, And you say, okay, that's fine. But it actually doesn't move my heart to give, and it doesn't move your heart to give. But this is is how what Jesus says helps me, and I hope maybe it helps you tonight too, is this, is he doesn't describe my wealth and your wealth in terms of like, um, you know, bejeweled fountains and diamond-encrusted columns or um, golden streets uh, or golden toilets. I always use that with my kids probably from Austin Powers or something. They asked me for something. I was like, yeah, when I get a toilet made of solid gold, um, I know what I'm getting for my 75th birthday. (laughs) Toilet made of solid gold. Uh, But he doesn't describe it in terms like that. He describes it in terms of friends. Wealth can be friends, and it does something that money can't do. So, uh, uh, Michael Wilcock, he's, a, he's a, a Bible teacher and scholar in the UK, and he writes on this parable, and I thought it was just a money little paragraph. Let me read it for you. He's, he's writing, talking about this parable. He says, all those these things, your property, ability, and time, belong to this life only. What will happen to you then when you pass into the afterlife will depend on what you were doing with them in the here and now. Make sure the use of your money will bring you into a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. A fellowship of friends. What a great little phrase. All right, so how does that actually follow the parable? Jesus' made-up story. Well, the manager was about to suffer a death. He was about to get fired, lose all position and perks, about to lose it all. What was going to survive? His new friends that he had made by hacking the debt. His new friends were going to survive. Uh, Now, I I think that's true in a world that, in a secular world, um, absent God. And what I mean by that is, how many times have you read or or heard, like in a news story, um, uh, the fire was raging, we left the house, we jumped in the pool, and um, everyone got out, and, and my wife survived, my husband survived. The kids got out. Like, yeah, we lost a lot of stuff. But no, like, it's amazing. Like, no one died. No one died. Like, we're so grateful. It's just stuff. How many times have you read that? I've read that. We lost everything. But the relationships are far more important than the stuff. Okay. You can think, okay, making friends... Is nice, but that doesn't. I don't. I don't know if that makes me want to give my money away. <laughs> let me let me show you something. What do you look for your money to do for you, and what do I look for my money to do for me? Um, well, let me let me just put it really bluntly. Um, making money makes me feel important. It makes me feel like a man. It makes me feel like. I'm worth something, like I did something right, and maybe on a bad day, it makes me feel better than my peers. I'll keep it blunt. What's the question that people have when they retire? I've heard this over and over and over again. Who am I if I am not doing this, this, and this? Who am I? Uh, we've simply attached money to identity, value, and worth. We've said, I want you to... Money, I want you to give me back those things. Um, there's there's uh, that show, Mad Men, and Don is the boss. Peggy is works for Don as an employee, and uh, uh, they work at this ad agency. So Peggy comes to Don. Peggy goes to her boss, and Peggy says this... Um, Why don't you ever say thank you to me? Why don't you recognize me? Why don't you say I did a good job? And Don's response says, that's what the money is for. You work, I pay you. But Peggy captures what we're wanting. We're actually, yeah, I wanted a job. I wanted to get some money, but I actually wanted more from it. I wanted approval, I wanted recognition, I wanted gratitude. Like I wanted something more, f- it wasn't just a check. Um, why is it, why is it this? Why is it when people make a pile of money they want to jump in the philanthropy game? Like why would you, why, why would you ever wanna do that? Because they, they're looking for something so that they feel significant, worthy, good, No, Like dare I say it, they're looking for some fragment of love. And I'm going to say this. It sounds even a little cheesy now that I see it in print. In the end, the only thing your heart needs is love. <laughs> it does sound a little cheesy, doesn't it? Um, because this is it: is You feel truly wealthy when you have that. And let me show you how. Um, for many in Los Angeles, uh, money is just a way to make you lovable or more lovable. And let me let me show you this. Um, so in online dating, this is just LA here. Um, uh, it probably bleeds over nationally, but but I, this is the data that I have. Uh, so if on your profile, if it shows that you make um, at least eighty thousand uh, dollars, that's the tipping point for the number of replies and clicks that you'll get on your profile. Eighty thousand is the the magic number. Um, at 150 thousand dollars reported as your annual salary on this dating site. Um, your replies and people who want to uh, magically want to get to know you um, statistically doubles from the rest of the field at 150k. Okay, listen to this. The person lying about their salary on their profile. is playing precisely the same game as the person clicking on that profile. I'm equal opportunity. Do you see that? We've culturally agreed that money helps your lovability. We've culturally agreed. This is in studies I was reading this past week um, that examined personal wealth that a person reports, right? Um, A person reports the greatest amount of wealth satisfaction when they live in a community where they love the people around them and they feel that they are loved in return. Now, check this out. That category beats uh, access to transportation, walkable access, crime rate, public services, parks, merchants, views, privacy, house prices, even actual living conditions. i want to know i i have a community of people that i love and i know that they love me in return and i have a i report a greater satisfaction with my wealth um this is a little cheesy too loving conditions have a greater appeal than living conditions if you want something memorable i changed a vowel yeah tim you were redlining the creativity there all right this is what blows me away um In his parable, Jesus doesn't appeal to what we think we want, money. He appeals to what our heart wants, and that is friendship and love. I I, I think that blows me away. Uh, I I mentioned this to several of you a few years ago, um, but there's the story of Todd Marinovich, which is an L.A. story all in itself, uh, and there was this little uh, uh, long-format article in Sports Illustrated and um, he grew up under a guy named Marv Marinovich. That was his dad. And Marv wanted his son, Todd, to be a quarterback. And so uh, when Todd was one years old, he had him working on a medicine ball and um, stretching weights, a dietary regime, no, no ho-hos, no ding-dongs, no McDonald's, no sodas. Uh, but Marv was just a raging beast of a dad. As young as 10, Todd said that his dad would openly slap him after bad athletic um, performances. And so Todd grew up thinking this, like, um, I know how to calm my raging dad, the turbulence at home, I know how to calm that, and this is what he thought, by thinking, I just have to play better, I just have to play better. So Todd grew up that way. you guys might know this. He went to Modern Day, went to San Juan Crap went to USC, went to the Raiders, and then just drugs and escape just derailed Todd Marinovich's uh, pro career. Um, it's a sad but really hopeful article, actually, but there was something that was aching in that article. Uh, and Marinovich said this He said, I would have given all of my millions if Marv said, I love you, unattached to any performance. What? He said, I longed for a time when my dad would let me snuggle up to him. I would have given millions for that. But he never did it. That's a 53-year-old man talking. Talking about non-performance-based love and friendship instead of millions. See, we use money for different things, don't we? We use money for love. That's what we do. So, what if I told you this? What if you were designed for what Jesus tells us heaven is going to be like? Friendships and love, and it's not based on your performance, it's based on the performance of another. Full friendship. You know, if that was going to be true, and it's guaranteed, and we don't have to use our money to get that love. And you knew it was a lock. You knew it was guaranteed. Wouldn't you part a little more easily with your money? We want to use our money to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. Okay, this last point is super, super quick. I bet I can do it in under a minute. Let me tell you this. You all and I have, we have an unrivaled, beautiful friendship Loving friendship. So how is this possible to give? In 2 Corinthians 8, there's a worldwide, well, I mean, pretty localized, but it's big. There's a, instead of a pandemic, it's a food pandemic or shortage, a famine. And so Paul is writing and fundraising to a bunch of churches to help people that do not have food. And he writes to them. And he says something really interesting. I'm going to paraphrase it because I want to go quickly. He says, guys, I don't want you to give your money away because I'm nagging you about it. I want you to give your money away out of love. Well, how is that possible? I want you to think of this. Think of Jesus Christ. And we get this from Philippians 2 and dozens of other passages. Um, He is the one friend who emptied himself Gave up the wealth and the riches and made a mass of friends who all used to be enemies. Because you and I have received that ultimate friendship, because we know this, I have a forever of love account. We don't need money for all of that identity, approval, worth, value, that significance cycle. We don't need money for that anymore. See, that's how we're able to give our money away. I just don't need money for that anymore. Because money won't make us any more lovable. We have it already. Let's pray into that. Jesus, um, uh, 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 you know, first of all, confession. Lord Jesus, you know this. You know I have used money for my own ends time and time again. My friends have too. But we don't want to be, just use our money for selfishness. We want our money to be for the benefit and the flourishing of our community and neighbors. Some of them we don't even know. Some of them we do know. So help us in that. That's what we want. We long for. And may it come from understanding, knowing sweetly that you love us. And our money doesn't make us more lovable. In Jesus' name, amen.